So the first type of Christmas person, by the way, it's, it's Christmas, right? It's December now. I wore the sweater. You're wondering, does he realize it's ugly? I do. I do know that. Um, it's okay. I'm prepared. It's nothing compared to the one that you'll see on Christmas Eve. So stay tuned for that. But um, it's Christmas, and so there's, there's three types of Christmas, and we're talking about wonder. Our whole idea, look at these fabulous decorations and stuff. We're talking about wonder and what it's like to experience the wonder of Christmas. So there are some type of people who just don't care for Christmas much at all. That, that's okay. There are some who get pretty excited about it, and then there's some who go crazy about it. So if you're one of those crazy people... Will you put your hand up if you're a, a Christmas crazy person? Yeah. And then, and then there's, and just, yeah, just put, the, that's great. Yeah, I, without a doubt, we had this first service too. One of the spouses is trying to raise his spouse's hand because you're annoying, but you don't even know it. And that, that's fine. That's okay. Like you're just into Christmas, but, but, but really, if you're going to get excited about something, let's make it Christmas, right? That's awesome. So who are those who are like kind of excited? Who, you get pretty amped up. Yeah, that's where I'm at. That's right. And don't raise your hands at the last one. It's okay that you don't like Christmas. That's perfectly fine. It really is. It really is. Like I don't mean to push it. It's, it's not always a great time of year for people. That's okay. That's why we're going to read into the text today, actually. So I was thinking about this, and this happens to me too. Like I have... Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff. And, um, you know, the part of Instagram, the point of Instagram is taking a picture of what you're doing or the food you're eating or the concert you're at and, and posting it so other people can share in your experiences. And so and if there's some of you like, is, is that what Instagram is for? That's what I've always thought. But um, and so but I've had an Instagram for a couple years now and it probably has like 12 pictures on it because this is what happens to me. I'll be there. I'll take the picture. I'm like, I'm going to share this. And then I'm like, it just doesn't make sense without context. Like you had to have been there to be able to experience it. You had to have been there to get like we were out at a restaurant the other week and um, it was a really interesting restaurant and and the food was it looked crazy. And I I went to post it and I'm just like, this is just isn't going to make a lot of sense to people who aren't here in the experience. Like sometimes you just have to be there. So a couple months ago, I took a trip out west. I flew into Colorado and I got in the car and drove to Tetons National Park. If you've never done that drive, it's an eight-hour drive, and there's no speed limits in Wyoming, and so I took advantage of that. And so um, the speed limit's like 85, I think. Like, come on, there's no speed limits. And so um, get up, I, I'm, and so I had decided to stop halfway through the trip, but I started driving, it gets late, it gets dark, and I'm like, why stop? I'll just keep on through. So it's 1 a.m. I'm in Wyoming, which you, you can, if you're like me, I was getting nervous too. And um, I'm driving through Wyoming. I kind of pull over just to like assess the situation. It's an old town, westernish town that fits in Wyoming perfectly. And Main Street, which is like a stoplight that was flashing at this point of the day. So I pull over, and there is this tavern, and, and I say tavern because it's called The Tavern over the top, and um, there's rock music just blaring out of this place. The doors are wide open, and I'm looking in, and like, there's like, there may be, the town may be population of 250 of them are in the tavern right now, 
So I'm like, well, I only live once, so I'm going in. So I go to the tavern, I sit at the bar, and I meet Hector. Here's Hector. Now, if the picture's kind of not great, it's because I had to sneak the picture because I didn't want Hector to beat me up. Because literally the first thing he said to me was, you're not from around here, are you? And so I met Hector, great guy. He had had a bit much to drink, so much so as we're leaving the bar that night, he goes, don't worry about the police. All of them clock out at midnight. So he had done this before, apparently. But um, it was just one of those things. I can tell you about this experience, but if you weren't there, you're just not going to quite understand. Then I, I slept a little bit, and then I drove. And as I got to Teton National Park, I saw the sun rise up over the mountains. And it was just this beautiful thing. Now, there are those of you who have taken this trip. You've been there. You've seen this. You experienced what wilderness was like. You experienced what those mountains were like, different than what we have here. We have beautiful mountains. They, I don't think, more beautiful out there, but just different beauty. And so, but it's just one of those things. I can tell you about walking on a path and seeing prints of bears that could eat me and all that stuff. But unless you're there, you just don't experience it. Then I went Yellowstone, which if you don't know, Yellowstone teasers are real close to each other. And it's called a cauldron, you know, like a hot, I think hot pot, basically cauldron. And um, like I'm there in the cauldron of Yellowstone. And um, it, it dawned, what am I doing standing on a cauldron? You know, like literally these are hot springs because there's a volcano under there somewhere that exploded long ago and wants to explode again. And so I'm standing there. The heat is creeping through the earth into the water, making these beautiful things I can see. Like there are pathways there, y'all, that like they like don't leave the path because you could die. Like why is this patch of dirt safer than that patch of dirt? (laughs) When did they last test this? Like that's my question. But unless... I, you know, and, but if you've been there, you understand the rawness of nature, but if not, you're just kind of having to trust me. So then I drove through Utah with Arches National Park, and Arches is very descriptive of what you're experiencing while you're there. There's all these arches. This one here is actually falling down, and it shouldn't be there too much longer which is sad, but it, they don't let you go close because it's falling down. And so you, as you're hiking on these arches, underneath these arches, you're kind of looking up like these rocks could follow me at any moment. So then uh, I saw this one reminded me of like Star Wars a little bit, like I'm another planet. And this one's my favorite here. What they don't show you about this last picture is at the end of that arc, that arch, there's nothing. It's just a like 300 foot cliff. And there's people standing under there taking a picture. So I crept to the edge and looked over. I'm terrified of heights. But unless you're there, you just got to take my word for it. So then I, I, one of my things on this trip is I have a friend, Morgan is his name. And I met him at the Y when I worked there a long time ago. And Morgan is one, you, you probably have a friend like this. He's just one of those guys, like he's kind of quirky by kind of, I mean, he's very quirky. Um, he's a hippie, like... When I'm in his car and we're driving, I'm like, Morgan, what smells like trash? He goes, it's compost in the trunk. I'm like, why, do we, why are we keeping compost in the trunk? 
And, but that's Morgan, but you just love this guy because he loves you so well. And he's, he's passionate about interesting things, but that, that's okay because, because it's him. And like his passions make you a little bit of passionate about it. I still don't keep compost in my truck. That's actually a lie. I do if you've seen it. Um, but it's mostly, just, some people call it trash. But, um, but, but he's just one of the, and, and I went and I saw him on this trip, but it's like, I could tell you about Morgan, but until you experience him yourself, it's just not the same. And so um, Christmas is that same way. I could tell you guys about Christmas. I could tell you about Christ, but until you experience it, him yourself, it's just not going to be the same thing. And so I just wanted to add that into our introduction to the Christmas series, Wonder, um, because I want us to experience, you know, think back to maybe your favorite Christmas. And it may be a childhood Christmas. It may be an adult Christmas. It may be just some type of like, like fleeting experience. But, but that one time where you really just felt as if it, was, it, it felt as if it was supposed to be this way. And, and I think it's interesting, some of us, maybe not all of us, some of us are actually a little bit timid about being willing to admit that we want to experience Christ. And I think maybe we, uh, we're afraid it, like, it cheapens it, like maybe the vastness of God is supposed to be larger than an experience or something like that. I always feel a little bit of hesitancy, even in myself, to walk into church or to walk into a Christmas experience and say, I really want to experience Christ. And if that's you, I, I get that. I want us to be free from that today. Like, like feel free to come into church this Christmas season or whatever you're doing, looking at lights, putting up your own tree, reading with your kids before bed, the Christmas story, or something like that, and just be willing to say, I want to experience Christ again this Christmas. I think there's something to be said for us being open and receptive to the experience of Christ, because I can tell you about it all day long. Your friends can tell you about it. You can even read about it, but until you experience it yourself, it's just not going to be the same. Um, isn't it fascinating that God was not content just to tell us about Jesus in his word, but instead he sent his son to live for us, to die with us? Clearly, he wanted us to experience that too. And in fact, as we're going to learn today about the Messiah, the Messiah, the whole Old Testament is filled with the talking of the Messiah. In fact, it's in there over 3,000 times in the Old Testament, this Messiah. If you were a Jewish person, um, you just expected the Messiah. Way back in Genesis chapter 3, in fact, when we sinned, man sinned and fell. We remember the story of the man and woman walked with God in the garden. Man and woman were tempted with this fruit, and they chose to eat the fruit, had knowledge of evil and good, and they fell in sin. Right there at the very beginning, right after the sin takes place, the promise of God was one will come that will destroy sin and restore your relationship with God. So that was in Genesis 3. And then we see things kind of get worse after that. And then, and then there in Genesis 12, once again, he comes with Abraham. God comes to Abraham and says... Through your descendants, the nations of the world will be blessed. Basically saying a Messiah will come. 
Then we fast forward, it's Exodus. The people, the Israelites, are taken to Egypt or moved to Egypt, and then they're put into captivity in Egypt, kind of as a, as a surprise to them. But in the, even in that time, we hear the language of the Messiah. One is coming, a promised one is coming, and it's gonna be through one of our descendants that the whole world is blessed through Jesus Christ. I was thinking about this. Wouldn't it be funny if you were ever a mom in that time? You never were quite sure if your son was the Messiah. Now, I know some of you moms are like, my son would have been the Messiah. <laughs> yes, he's acting up in school, but he's, he's the Messiah, y'all. It's, it's fine. But isn't that just an interesting tension they had to live with? Like, it's this promise. Now, now don't get me wrong. Like, each Jewish person wasn't as expected as the other. Even times in history, as we read the Old Testament, we see sometimes the Jews were very expectant of the Messiah. Other times it wasn't even on radar whatsoever. And so it, it, it came and it, it went away and it came and it went away. And there were times of very high expectations. One of these times was there was rulers that would be appointed, that would kind of randomly be appointed by God to rule the nation. But the people were like, I'm tired of a random person. I want a king. And so they called for a king because they wanted that Messiah to come. But that wasn't God's plan. And so we have this expectation throughout scriptures of a Messiah. I wanted to ask you that question today is, what is your expectation of a Messiah? Because all throughout like Psalms we read, there are several Psalms, probably about 10 of them, just about the Messiah. And as we're going to learn today in Isaiah, it's nine. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter nine. It's on 466 of the Pew Bible. But we, we hear these prophets talking about the Messiah and the one to come. And so I wanted to ask you, what was your expectation of a Messiah? Theirs was, and just to give you context, Israel was, even from the beginning of time, a nation of people. God made them to be a nation of people. And as I mentioned, he told Abraham, through this nation, one person will be born who will save us, who will save the whole world, actually. But then, and there were some times where they were a tribal nation, and if you liked history, you've researched Israel before, and I won't get too deep into this, but it's really fascinating. They were a tribal people, and then they had a king, and then really for as small of a nation that they were, they really were doing well on the world stage. They had riches, they had a temple, they had credibility with other that they were, if you like to fight or watch fight, they were in a weight class above them. They didn't quite belong on the world stage, but through God and his, pro his, his promises, they were on this world stage. Well, something started happening in the history of the world is empires began to be formed. And it, one is, and we, we've learned about them in history. One is an Assyrian empire and then the Persian empire. And so we know these empires, as they begin to conquer the world, we see little Israel there and we see the storm that's coming. Well, these people in this day and age understood 
the Assyrians were coming their way. And they were in Israel was about to be wiped out. And so that's where we start to hear about this prophecy that we're going to read today. Because remember, they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for a king, a savior that will come and give them the political clout required to be able to fight on the world stage to beat off the Assyrians. So we learn today about Hezekiah, a righteous king. Yet his father was the one... he was one of the more wicked and wrong kings. So his father, Hezekiah's dad, was one of the worst kings Israel had, period. So wicked, he closed the temple down. He shut it up, locked the front door, said, don't come to the temple whatsoever. He told the priest, return to your homes. We're not having worship anymore. I don't know about y'all, but if you ever showed up to church and it was boarded up, Y'all would like, there'd be a sense of panic. There'd be a sense of loss to you. Not even that it was like your church, but like literally that someone was telling you what you can worship and can't worship. Like your rights would be violated. But this king did that. He gave them other false things to worship and said, here, worship this and worship that. But he said, don't worship God. And so that was Hezekiah's father. But then Hezekiah comes in and says, listen, while we see the Assyrians coming, they're gonna conquer us. We have but one hope and turn to God. And so that's what he did. He led the nation to turn to God. And so that's where we find ourselves, the, this nation of Israel crying out to God to save them, needing a Messiah. Well, their story is very different than where we're at today. Historically, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Like, we're not in danger of any of that stuff. So their need for the Messiah and our need seems very different. So I wanted us to just to pause and kind of ask you, and don't answer out loud because that's embarrassing, but what is your current level of expectation for a Messiah, for a Savior in your life? What things do you have in your life that you would be crying out to a Savior for, or maybe better put, should you be crying out to your Savior for? And perhaps one of the These pertains to you. The first is one that does pertain to all of us. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And as good as we try to be, as kind and nice and enjoyable and pleasant as we try to be, we're just sinners. And I always say, if you need help, look at children. They're cute and and they're, they're fun and they're like as honest as they can be and they're the worst sinners you've ever seen and they do it without even trying it's like it's natural within them to want to tell you I'm not going to do that or to do whatever they want to do and I don't think it's that we've actually taught them this where in fact we've been we spent our whole lives trying to teach them the opposite but yet still they figure it out and I just think it's a beautiful illustration of we are just sinners but perhaps, like, we've got that one covered. We know Jesus died for that. But perhaps you today are just broken and wounded and hurt. And you need the Messiah. You need our Savior to come and minister to you in that capacity. That, or perhaps you're faced with a decision. And you need 
the Messiah to come and provide wisdom for you and discernment in the decisions you're trying to make. Now, perhaps you have some serious problems. You know, it's not just wisdom, it's not just decisions, but you're really facing down some serious trials right now. And, and you need a Savior, you need a Messiah to cry out to. Or perhaps you just need the loving presence of a good heavenly Father who is strong and who's safe, and you just need to be in his presence. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. And we're going to be in verse 6, actually. And then and, um, it says, For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and he, his name, shall be called. Now, this is kind of interesting. It says, his name shall be called. It's not saying, like, These are his names. It's saying his name is this, which is a bit of a switch. So we're about to read these words. It sounds like four names, but it's really one name describing the name of Jesus or the Messiah. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What is the worst advice you've ever given someone? Okay, that's scary, right? What's the worst advice someone has ever given you? That one might be easier to admit. Now, this one's funny. What is the worst advice you've ever heard someone give someone else? I was thinking, I wrote down my top three. What's the worst that could happen? Is the worst advice I've ever given someone. (laughs) It doesn't look that far. I think you should go for it. And three, just follow your heart. Um, Those are probably my my top three. It says here, he is our wonderful counselor. And um, we were talking just this weekend. We went on a retreat. Leadership in the church went on a retreat. And we were just talking about there's something about knowing someone who's experienced what you're going through. That's just really comforting. And so they've maybe like advanced in years possibly, but they, they've had an experience that like, like in their past, they've had an experience that you're currently walking through. And there's something incredibly powerful because you, you, your problem is this big. It's just big and vast. And you go to them and you tell them like, hey, this is what I'm going through. And they just kind of real humbly, it always seems it's always that same way, real humbly. They're like, hey, I've been through this before. If you don't mind, I'll let you know what I did. And you're sitting there like, yeah, tell me. And um, they tell you, and you go in confused and with this gigantic problem, and you walk out of that conversation, and the problem has shrunk down to just this tiny size, and you have the confidence of this path because someone that you trust who's following Jesus has done it before you. There's something about godly counsel that's so comforting. Well, what's fascinating is that person is actually a sinner just like you. So imagine having Jesus as our wonderful counselor. And, and, and don't think of this as like a passive counselor who just asks 
questions and isn't like in your, this is the active counselor who's walking with you through life there for you to provide wisdom and discernment and correction and, and there. And, and, and so I love the fact that we have this wonderful counselor. Then it says, mighty God. Now putting this in context in this day and age when it's written, nations were known because of their gods. And so what they would do is they would create these things to worship, large idols or tiny idols or something like that. And they had in their head, as long as people have existed, there has been gods to worship. And I love archaeology and stuff. And any time they find people where they lived in civilizations, there were religious things also. It seems ingrained in us, no surprise here, that we were wired to worship And we've always done that. It's the object of our worship that actually changes. And so in this time, in this historical capacity, they created these gods. And then they would do things to not make them upset. And if bad things happen to you, often it is because that God was mad at you. And if good things happen to you, it's because you had pleased that God. And so you can see where this goes. Then they would try to please the God so good things would happen. And one warning I want to give us as Christians is how often do we think if we please God, good things will happen to us? We know that's really goofy. When I just said that, you just looked at me like I was crazy. But we also know that we live that way. We're also like, oh, if I please God, then he'll give me good gifts. Not remembering that it's actually his grace that spurs in us those good works. We often tell us, if I just follow Jesus better, then he'll bless me. When in reality, it's because he's blessed us, it actually encourages us to follow him and the disciplines. And I just think it's so funny that we always try to tweak that and be in control of the situation when really it's his, his grace, that's the free gift of God to us that we get to enjoy. And so it says, mighty God And one cool story to tell you about with Isaiah, this righteous king Hezekiah is there. He sees the Assyrians coming. The Assyrians are camped outside of the city. There's hundreds of thousands of these people about to come into the city. He calls and trusts on God and the Assyrians wake up and 185,000 of them had died during the night. Talk about mighty God. And back then, that's in a statement to the other nations as well. And so that problem that you have, that thing you're wrestling with and trying to sort out, it says Jesus' name is mighty God. And he just wants to be your wonderful counselor and mighty God. He wants to hear what that problem is and provide for you in that way. And then we go on. We've got two left. If you're getting antsy, it's fine. Everlasting Father. So I was doing statistics. Um, just read these to you. Um, I was thinking about fathers and how important fathers are. We, we have them in this church or men here that are trying to be good fathers and all of us have some type of father. Now, there are some of us that have great fathers and some of us who have terrible fathers and some of us who didn't have a father. And I think it's so fascinating that Jesus is actually being called everlasting father here. 
Because you guys are like, wait a minute, isn't the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How is the Son being called Father here? I don't know. <laughs> well, it says in the Hebrew, I mean, I don't, it's just fascinating that, that the, it's, it's, it's God, though. And, and we know through reading the New Testament that he is the mediator between us. Jesus is the mediator between man and God. But, but that this role here is God knows we need a father. And some of us are blessed with an earthly father that's good and great, but then there are those that aren't. But check this out. I was looking up fatherless statistics. That's actually a website, fatherless.com. And, um, and so if you, are, if you do have two parents, your likelihood of being in poverty is 12%. If you don't have a father, your likelihood of poverty is 44%. Um, see here, if you don't have a father, your likelihood of addiction to alcohol and drugs skyrockets. Um, 70% of high school kids who don't finish high school don't have a father. There's a direct relation, having a dad and finishing high school. Um, GPAs lower, they're more than likely to take their own lives and all these other factors. It is so interesting to see the devastating impact of not having a father. And isn't it so interesting that our, that our very scriptures talk about this everlasting father to fill that need. And I think it's real and I think it's legitimate here. And I love that it's the everlasting father because even if we lose our earthly father, we have a father that's not gonna get old. He's not gonna lose his thoughts or his thinking. He's not gonna pass away. We, we have a heavenly father, an everlasting father that's good and caring and strong and there for us. And this final one is gonna be Prince of Peace. And as we talk, as we start to wrap this up, there's two things we have to realize, two kingdoms we, we need to realize. One is there's a kingdom of God. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of that kingdom of God. And experiencing this peace is putting him on the throne of that kingdom. And you have a kingdom that's called your life. And this peace he's talking about is putting Jesus on the throne of your life as well. Because it tells us he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. He is the counselor when you need wisdom and guidance and counsel and assistance and advice and support. He's mighty God when you need strength and power. He's your everlasting father when you need a firm yet gentle care and provision in your life. And he is your prince of peace when you need quietness and rest and freedom. So as we talk about the wonder of Christmas and the wonder of his promise in Isaiah, let me remind you to read Luke 2. It says in Luke 2, as we talk about all of this, I'm going to read it for you, in fact. Matthew, Mark, Luke 2. It says this, and this is when... Um, he goes, for unto you a child is born. 
And, and as we talked about this Old Testament prophecy and the Messiah that was to come, we have right here in the word of God that the Messiah has come. The fulfillment of these promises has begun. And so if you are whatever in the situation we've talked about today, needing something like that, we have a God that provides for that. We have a Savior that came for that provision and that promise. And I want to remind you of that today. So I'm going to pray in just a minute. Um, I always forget to mention our prayer team. Uh, there will be a, there is always a prayer team in the back. And if that's you today, like sometimes it just helps to tell someone and be prayed for. Um, there's just something powerful about speaking what we're experiencing, what God is teaching us or what the Holy Spirit's convicting us of. Just tell someone, have them pray for you. They're all very nice people, I promise you. They, let me tell you, they're praying for you regardless. You can just help them pray more specifically. Might be the easier way to say that. 